This podcast was created on Messy. Create your own show today at Messy.fm. Right, shitties, calm down. Bloody hell, it's gone a week. No need to cry. No need to threaten suicide. I had people messaging me, telling me that their life wasn't worth living anymore because I missed one fucking week. <sighs> I missed a week. Not because England lost to Wales. I'll make that absolutely clear right now. Um... I wasn't happy about it, but to be honest with you, I kind of expected it. Um, and there's no great shame in it. I was perfectly okay with that. The, the real reason is I just couldn't be asked to come in this fucking shed and deal with this bullshit sound. I, this is my second attempt at doing this today because the goddamn microphone fucked up again. So, you know, if I had a luxurious quality recording studio, I'd never be late. I'd be recording five of these a fucking week. It's a massive ball ache for me to have to get this going. Um, I've got like shit. I've got like my, uh, my phone wedged under a cable to keep it connected. It's a, it's a joke. This shed is a joke. One day I'll sort it all out, but probably one day I'll, I'll sort it all out, but probably never. That's what I was about to say. And it's probably pretty accurate of a statement. Um, before I get going, I want to complain that my hands hurt. You ever had to complain about your hands hurting? It's not, most people don't have to worry about that, but I was deadlifting today. Um, I don't want to come across as some sort of douchey fucking, yeah, I lift, bro. I lift! I was very loud. I'm just text. I was actually testing the volume, um, and it was loud. Um, the, the only reason I mention this is if you don't know, if you don't work out, regularly you know barbells right the long bars that you add plates on weights to to bench press deadlift squat shit like that well a lot of people don't know that on those bars there's a grip sort of welded it welded sort of molded into it right a sort of crisscross fine series of grooves so that when you're working out and your hands get sweaty it's not going to slip and there are different grades of this grip i have learned okay you know how like with sandpaper you get you can get a very fine sandpaper which is smooth enough you could probably wipe your ass with it but i wouldn't advise it um and then you get like really really coarse sandpaper which is basically just cardboard with like fucking rocks gl super glued to it um don't wipe your ass with that i cannot stress that enough um and uh barbells are the same they have different sort of grades of uh, grip and there's one bar in my gym that i am now just calling the cheese grater because it's like blades running across it you will not drop it there's no way you're going to drop it but it fucking hurts and i've been working out for bloody years my hands are 
if you were to touch them, they're like, they don't look horrible or anything, but I have pads, like some kind of lion. Just thick pads going across the, I don't know what part of the hand it is, the ball of the hand? I don't know. And on the finger joints. Thick pads to protect it. But even my thick mitts couldn't handle this shit. I don't know why I'm even telling you that. I'll tell, I do know why. It's because we have a trust, don't we? And I feel obligated to tell you about my every little niggle, every little concern. Um, that's really the only real physical blow I've taken recently. I've been feeling pretty good. My fucking six-year-old is ill again, again, home from school. Someone, I've said this before, somebody in my house is always ill. Okay. And it never ends. It never ends. There's no point at which, like when you have children, it ruins your life. I'll make that absolutely clear right now. It does ruin your life. I mean, it makes your life, it gives you meaning. But you really, trust me, you don't want meaning. You don't want your, you don't want your life to have meaning. Meaning is a, such a burden. Much better to have no meaning whatsoever and just have a good time. You get kids, your life has purpose, but it sucks balls. And, um, you're just waiting for them to be old enough to go to school so you can be free. Actually, I had a bit about this. I don't know if I did it before. Um, basically the, with children, the less cute they get, the less welcome they are in your home. In other words, when you have a newborn baby, it's impossibly cute. And especially if you're a woman, if you're the mother of that baby, you don't ever want to let it go. You know, some mothers seem to be fine with it, but they're just bad parents, bad people. They didn't get it right. Generally, you should feel an urge to have your baby with you all the time. And I, as a father, I have a very strong paternal instinct. I like being around my babies. I, they ruin my life. They make me want to kill myself, but I still need to be around them. And uh, you don't trust other people near them. You don't let them out. You don't take them out because you don't want them to die of, um, I was going to say AIDS. That's the worst example. That's the very unlikely they'll catch AIDS. Um, but you know what I mean? You don't want any illnesses. You just want them protected and safe. But then they get a little bit older and they start toddling around and stuff. And you're like, all right, someone can watch this kid for a while. I can leave it for a bit. It's okay. Then they get a bit older. They get old enough to start going to school, kindergarten. If you're in America, infant school, if you're in England. And what you're saying there is they're still cute. They're very, very cute, but they're only part-time cute, right? You don't, it's not a full-time thing. You're like, you can be out of my life for a while. I won't want to kill myself. It's good. And then as they get older, they start spending more and more time away from you. It's fine. They start getting to sort of 10, 11 years old. They do after-school activities. You might let them start playing rugby because if they break something, it's not the end of the world. You wouldn't let a fucking six-year-old do full contact sport. They get a bit older. They're not as cute. Then they get old enough, they start masturbating shit. Then they get really gross. It's not nice. You don't want them around. Go to your friend's house. Go to your friend's house. High school, secondary school, whatever you want to call it. More after school activities. Take a fucking bus to school. I don't even want you in my car anymore. Then you get older. Go to university. Go to college. Stay there. Sleep in the dorms. We do not want you here. Get a job. Fuck off and never come back. That is childhood. And parenting. But you always want them back, don't you? Oh, in the end. Contradict myself. I love my kids, but you know, sick of them getting sick. I'm sick of the sickness. I'm not down with the sickness at all. I'm rather against it. Also, I don't like my six-year-old feeling unwell. It's bloody horrible. Diarrhea. Waking up in the night. 
stopping me from having sex. Do you know who stopped me from having sex? Well, I take that back. Didn't stop me from having sex, just ruined my orgasm. I was having sex with my wife. Um, Our bed is too squeaky. It's too squeaky. It's going to wake everybody up. So we move into the spare room where the bed is not squeaky. Why didn't we just start in there? I don't know, but we don't worry about it. It's not important. And now it's just derailing my story. We go in the spare room. As I am finishing, now I've had this happen many times where one of my kids screams or something right when I'm about to come. And it's horrendous. It's a whole psychological whirlpool of disaster, disastrousness. Yeah. I've, I've had, I had my daughter, you'd have to see me to understand this. I was once about to come and my daughter, when she was about four years old, had gotten out of bed, was super upset and freaking out and came toddling into the room staggering in going and it was i it scared the shit out of me i damn near kicked her out the fucking window but more importantly i did not enjoy that orgasm well about an hour ago right before this podcast this was happening i'm in the spare room having sex making sure there's not too much noise my wife starts enjoying herself which is you know i trust me was not part of the plan. I just needed to finish. My wife enjoys herself too much. The dogs hear it from the kitchen and start barking right as I was orgasming. Do you want to hear about that? You probably didn't. Did you? I'm far too um, sharing with this sort of thing. Um, whatever. I'm just glad I'm able to have sex. For a long time, it was impossible with these kids. And it's dangerous. You know, I've been with my wife for 14 years and I'm not going to lie. I see a lot of women everywhere and I check them out sometimes. I don't want to. I feel bad, but I can't help it. I think that's normal, right? I do it though. And um, I've noticed that like my friends, some of them are very, very physically unattractive, my friends. Some of them are very good looking, but some of them are not. But they all have ridiculously high standards. I do this thing. I don't even go into this. Sometimes I'll be like, I'll, I'll point somebody out. as like, oh, she's a bit of all right. And then my friends will be like, yeah, she's okay. And I'm like, what are you talking about, you fat, ugly cunt? She wouldn't even fuck you. What are you talking about? Anyway, the other day I said to my friend, Niff, I said, oh, look, she's, and he, by the way, Niff is single and he's cool as fuck and he should be dating someone, but he hasn't for a long time. I'm trying to help him. I'm like, hey, look at this chick. She's a bit of all right, Niff. And Niff says, by the way, I've talked about Niff before, I think. He's Kevin James's cousin. If you don't know who Kevin James is, know that his real name, he's a Hollywood actor, Paul Blart Mall Cop. I don't know if he's popular at all in England, but he was in a show called King of Queens in America, which is a mediocre sitcom from back in the day. But mediocre is good compared to most of the garbage that they put on TV here. So um, anyway, he's Kevin James's cousin. I say to Niff, look at this chick. She's a bit of all right. And he says, oh, she's nothing to write home about. I'm like, nothing to write home about? What the fuck does that mean? Like, what? Why would I write home about her? Home is where my wife lives. God, that wasn't funny at all. And I have a feeling I may have said it before. I fucked it up. But I'm so deep into this podcast now, I can't. Re- I, can't I could edit it. I might edit it. If I didn't edit this, <laughs> if I don't edit out that shit attempt at a joke um that was so shit that it almost it basically wasn't a joke was it 
Um, if I do not edit that out and you hear me saying this, know that it's not because I decided, uh, no, you know what? I'm going to share it because I recorded it and I want my podcast in its entirety to be shared and it will not be edited. It's nothing. It's not like a moral decision. It just means I couldn't be asked. Um, there's a good chance that'll be the case, but look, let's get cracking with rugby talk. I really can't, I don't want to go on and on about all the minutia of my personal life, even though I feel like something really interesting happened recently. Huh? Well, it doesn't matter. What, what are we doing? What episode is this? Uh, oh yes. It's rugby rant to banter episode 42. Let's go. So I'm going to start off with the premiership. Remember, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. I'm not. There's not going to be a lot of cohesion to this. I'm just going to mention a few things that I noticed that I think are of some import. Is that correct? Is that English? Sometimes I don't speak English. Um, but before I get into all that, an update on the T-shirts. Some of you are very excited to know. I talked about designing T-shirts, which I would release. And I was going to give some of them away to my longtime listeners the cool listeners, the number one sheddies, and you know who you are. Um, update. I have saved a website to my toolbar that makes designs and makes t-shirts where you can make your own t-shirts. That's as far as I've gotten. I can't get shit done. It's really rather pathetic, but I'm telling you this right now. Uh, um, mid-year resolution. I'm going to start getting shit done. And the first shit I'm going to get done is this podcast, which is not much because I've done tons of these, but trust me, I'm getting shit done. Let's talk about the premiership. Um, really sloppy opening couple of days. I thought that, uh, that, that sale versus Leicester match. I couldn't watch it. I was literally falling asleep during it. I'm not joking. I was literally nodding off. And I still managed to watch the whole first half, which was just knock on after knock on after knock on. Now, look, I'm not shitting on the players. I'm not saying that, you know, they were, didn't have the skills. It was sloppy conditions, but it was not fun to watch. And, uh, I actually got seven minutes into the second half before I gave up on it. There was like one more knock on. I went, that's it. I'm done. And I felt like this was like important somehow that I, that 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 uh, Sale and Leicester had let me down, and that I had announced to the Cosmos that it was unacceptable. And on some level, they know, and they feel pretty bad about it. Um, Bath against Saracens, also kind of a sloppy match, but um, interesting to watch because that Saracens team is all fucked up. Um, Bath won. I actually thought they were going to win. Uh, on my Super Brew predictions game, I predicted them to win, and I think I even got the right margin of victory, whatever the fuck it was. I can't remember, but Bath had to win. They had to win because they've lost so many games in a row now by such a small margin of victory. It was getting damn near disastrous. They just had to get the job done. 
And yes, it was Saracens, but if you're ever going to beat Saracens at home, this is the time to do it with so many key players missing. With a fullback at fly half and a fly half at fullback. Yes, I know Alex Good is a good fly half. He's a good. He's a good whatever you say. He's good. But um, and I know he started out at fly half. And I believe when he went, did he was he always at Saracens? Whenever he first burst onto the scene, and he did burst onto the scene, he was sort of playing fullback, but really wanted to play fly half. He was outspoken about it. And there was this sort of idea they were going to groom him at Saracens to play fly half, but he was so good at fullback. Eventually they were like, same thing happened with Ben Foden. Remember when Ben Foden was at sale, he was playing scrum half, but they were playing, or he wanted to play scrum half, but he was being played at fullback because it seemed like they felt that was his best position. So he went to Northampton under the agreement that he would be playing scrum half, which is the position he wanted to play. But for whatever reason, they tried him at fullback. And again, he was so good at it, they had to keep him there. And he sort of eventually just had to accept, yeah, I'm a fullback. Uh, it was similar with Alex Good. Um, but it was a bit of a shitty match, that one. I do like McConaughey, the Bath winger from uh, Sevens. I feel like if he was playing for a better team, like certainly a better attacking team, because the Bath forwards, I feel like, get him out of a lot of trouble. But... um I feel like, well, shit, he and Rocket Aguni, who's missed a lot of uh, action this season, but still, both of them could do a lot more damage. Imagine if they were playing for Saracens. Imagine Rocket Aguni playing for Saracens. But that's not the point I was trying to make. McConaughey, he is a very, very uh, hard-to-tackle runner um, and seems to have a lot of skill. Um, but it's still early. I'd like, I want to see more of him, but hopefully Bath can get their shit together and... Uh, utilize him well um tom homer looked good in that match didn't you think he was super safe under the high ball and made some good runs too he looks there was a there was a period a couple of seasons ago where he was talked about as a potential england player but he's just had he's had injuries that haven't helped um it happens to so many good players doesn't it so many great potential england players uh, miss out from injury it's just uh, such is life I, my orgasm was ruined by dogs. So, you know, it's hard for all of us. Uh, what else happened? Wasps against Newcastle. That was a good match. I really enjoyed that just for the intense finish. Um, nice to see Josh Madavesi back. I love Josh Madavesi. He's in my fantasy team. Um, He's a guy, and I've said this on an earlier podcast. It's a real shame that he never got to play for England because he's one of these guys. He's, I think he's half Fijian, but he was born and raised, I think, in Cornwall. At any rate, somewhere sort of southwest. Um, and uh, I remember reading in a – I either read it or heard him in an interview uh, saying that he always wanted to play for England. He grew up wanting to play for England and didn't think it was going to happen, so he chose Fiji, um, I'm sure, very proudly. But he's a guy that probably could have could have done a job for England and uh, – Anyway, he was back from injury, so he didn't he didn't play exceptionally well, but it looked decent enough. Um, it's just interesting though when uh, when you get a Polynesian player like that. If if Josh Madavesi had not played for Fiji and today he got selected for England, you'd get people talking shit saying he's not English. Oh, they picked another fucking Fijian or whatever. And yet you listen to him; he's blatantly English. I, I also true with Cockna Singer. It was great to hear him talking at the end because I don't think I've ever heard him talk. And in my head, 
even though I knew, uh, well, I, actually, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm pretty damn sure he's born and raised in England, right? But even so, I thought he would have a slight, I just was surprised to hear him talk and be like, oh, that's an Englishman. Which, by the way, I've hinted at, uh, at um, one day doing a podcast where I just talk about um, sort of national qualification, you know. Um, well, the gist of it is, for me, it's all down to what they sound like. If they've got a remotely English accent, I'm cool with it. Now, obviously, you couldn't have that as an official rule because then you just have you know bloody everybody just going hello governor i'm english and faking it but as a sort of unwritten rule just for me i like to listen to them talk um and see and i think i may have said this before now that i hear myself saying it again um but anyway it was nice to hear cock on a sorry thock on a singer fucking hell um oozing englishness People will still talk shit, though. They'll still say he's not English, which is, uh, I think, racist. But I'll say no more about that. We'll move on. Um, what else was interesting in that match? It was weird. Oh, fucking hell. Um, in the 62nd minute, did you see Jack Willis? Who I worry about Jack Willis because he's had some serious injuries already. And in the 62nd minute, he got twisted like a pretzel in a tackle. I think it was... Gary Graham that tackled him, he got twisted up and I saw his face. He looked in serious pain and he came off straight after. And I hope to God he's not going to be another of these amazing players. This happens a lot with back rowers who we lose through injury. I'm really worried about him. You know, Sam Underhill's another one, just constantly injured. Um, but speaking of injuries, there was a at least one in quotes, high tackle during this match. They just piss me off. I, I understand they're trying to make it as safe as possible, but unless a high tackle is actually dangerous, let it go. I'm so sick of seeing, oh, it wasn't dangerous, there was no force, but technically it's round the neck. Fucking come on. Let's get on with this game because, look, okay, I'm not prepared to say that the game has gone soft. Of course it hasn't, but it's looking soft. That looks soft. And it ruins the game. Um, I found it weird that, um, or Dean Richards, his uh, substitutions were a bit weird. There was 20 minutes left, a whole game in the balance, and he took off Takalua and Matavesi. Takalua's been playing great. Matavesi was looking solid. And then it was weird. Towards the end, Flood's got a kick at goal, his last penalty attempt. And he does, I don't know, I'm going to have to watch Toby Flood kick more, but he did this really short, it was a decent length, this kick. I can't remember the exact meters, but it was long enough that I was a little bit surprised that he was going to go for it. And then he did this teeny tiny run up and kind of just did a Serevi style snap kick. And it was nowhere near. I thought that was a bit odd, but what an exciting finish to that match. And what an important finish. Newcastle, two, two wins in a row, um, beating Wasps. Wasps are hit and miss, but that's a significant win uh, away from home. Um, Northampton against Bristol, I don't even really want to talk about because... Uh, 
it's hard to win with 11 men, but I, okay. So I only watched the first sort of 20 minutes and then the, the, the uh, result got spoiled for me. Um, it used to be that when you're watching these rugby matches, it was only the big name commentators when they had sort of Austin Healy, Ben K or someone like that, you know, the big matches that they would give you updates on the other matches. But now it seems like the other solo commentators are starting to give away some results and I don't like it. Now that I say that, I don't think that even happened during this match. I'm not sure why I didn't finish watching it or rather how the result got spoiled, but I definitely heard that Northampton got spanked and I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. Um, but Bristol, I've got to fucking eat some humble pie because I talked my narrative for the first sort of six, seven match. Well, up until the last couple of matches, really, was that Bristol were surprising teams, but eventually they'd be found out and they will go down. That's what I was thinking. But not only are they beating teams, competing, being unbelievably competitive, but they're playing the most exciting rugby in the premiership. They are really, they, they, they play an exquisite brand of rugby, if you don't mind me saying. Um, it's weird though. I, I don't really know what happened there. Like I said, I didn't really watch the match, but how did Saints go from smashing Gloucester to being spanked by Saris the next week? And then this. That was a weird match. I want to just go back a week. That match against Saracens was a weird one because they got absolutely taken to the fucking cleaners. And in the second half, everybody keeps saying that they, oh, they outplayed them in the second half. But it's irrelevant. I mean, obviously it's irrelevant. The scoreline is the scoreline they they lost. But that Saracens team, you know, you can say that Northampton had to make a few changes, which they did. They had some, you know, they lost their fly half, etc. But that Saracens team was a bit of a ragtag group too. So, Jesus, I told you I'd be all over the place. Um, anyway, Worcester against Exeter. Uh, I'll tell you what. First of all, on a positive note, Bryce Heem, or as I call him, Bryce He-Man, um, what an amazing player. He's in my fantasy team. He's my top point scorer, by the way. Um, just fucking incredible. Absolutely. He, and I said before it was him and Ollie Woodburn, but I probably actually put, um, oh, what's his face? Um, Cordero on the other wing this season. Um, but he just is almost unstoppable at times. And I, he's leaving Worcester, isn't he? And I think he's got, I can't remember where he's going. Is he going to France? It's a huge, huge loss to the premiership if he goes, because he's a guy that I love to watch. He is, you know, if, if Huchard wins games for Worcester, um, he's certainly helped by Bryce Heem, Bryce Heeman. Um, I was happy to see Oli Devoto have a good game too. He looked very, very physically imposing, a very aggressive. He had a good game, very powerful. Um, Worcester, I said this before, they got a prop who looks like a giant baby. It pisses me off. I think his last name is Black. No disrespect to him, but this is disrespectful. I can't help it. He looks like, as, as I say, a baby, um, a giant sort of, a giant baby who's got an aging disorder. And he doesn't look like a professional rugby player. He looks like he should be playing for your local thirds team. I always feel weird. It always is a bit weird to see, but good for him. Good for him. <laughs> um, 
there was a weird incident in there when um, Mac Vesic charged into a ruck and smashed uh, Marco Mama in the fucking head. Like, and by the way, Marco Mama is a great player. Like, I, I haven't seen a lot of uh, him up until now. For whatever, I think I just haven't really watched a lot of Worcester over the years. But I've heard good, I'd heard good things about him. And I was very impressed by him. In fact, he was in my fantasy t- team as well this week. And um, I thought he was great, like carried really well, great over the ball. But he was securing a t- turnover. He It actually won the turnover, I believe. Everybody's freaking out about the Michael Rhodes hit, which was illegal and off the ball, and everyone's crying about it. Fine. But this was every bit as bad. He'd won the ball. And uh, Matt Kvesic just charges in and smashed him in the head. Like no one said anything. I, the only person who said anything was Marco Mama, who got up and said, he can't do that. And the referee, I think it was JP Dorr sort of went, all right, calm down. <laughs> Very weird. Um, Quinns against Gloucester. I didn't watch because that game also got spoiled for me. Um, but I did not expect that. I actually thought Quinns were going to beat Gloucester. I just thought Gloucester was sort of starting to lose it, but they did have Willie Hines back, which makes a bit of a difference. Willie Hines was back after punching himself out the week before. Did you see that? He fell onto his own fist and kind of knocked himself out. It was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. I actually wanted to talk about it more last week, and now my memory's uh, going. Um, I saw Mike fucking Brown getting bounced off. Um, who who ran him over? Um, Woodward. Do you know what? When he did that, I just went, ah, oh, Mike fucking Brown. And now he's, that's, that's the great thing about Mike fucking Brown is that if he does play bad, you can just change the inflection a little bit and it's, ah, shaking your fist. Mike fucking Brown, you fucked up again. Anyway, that's all I've got to say about the premiership. Sorry, that was a bit shit. Woo-hoo! I'm going to talk about the Six Nation, but only vaguely. For the most part, I just want to talk about England. Uh, I didn't even watch the Ireland match, but they beat the shit out of France. What can you take? What can you take from a victory over France? I mean, there's always been kind of a, you know, which France will turn up with them. Uh, but nowadays it's almost guaranteed that the France that shows up is going to be the flaky, shitty, clueless one. Um, at any rate, Ireland at least spanked them and and hopefully will beat Wales. Um, I did see the Ringrose disallowed try. To me, that was uh, not really a knock-on. And you may disagree, but when I watched it in slow motion, he does lose control of the ball, but it kind of goes backwards. Doesn't definitely doesn't go forward when he loses control. And then it slides along the ground with his chest and he kind of drags it over the line with him. And I mean, if that's a knock-on, people score like that all the time. If that's a knock-on, fuck me in the ass. Um, I saw the first half of Scotland against Wales um, and just couldn't be asked with it. Uh, from that match, though, Wales just looked like the complete package to me. I know it wasn't like a super exciting game, but they just know how to play rugby. They know how to win. They're playing a very cohesive style of rugby they're all on the same page and that's why they're able to beat teams like England because 
I know there's been a bunch of uh, bickering on social media about English arrogance because there's the implication that maybe England are a better team than Wales. Well, I think all it comes down to is, yeah, if you go, f- f- you know, player by player, you could make an argument that England are a better team. But, you know, a team is not as only as good as the sum of its parts, as we all know. And first of all, we lost to Wales, so that settled that. And I'd have to say, Wales are far less likely to really fuck up than England. They're far less likely to go into a game and have the wrong game plan, and if they do have the wrong game plan, not be able to uh, come up with a plan B to to, to fix it. Um, Having said that, if Wales was playing New Zealand, who would your money be on? Um, and who's more likely to beat New Zealand, Wales or England? It's kind of one of those things where I feel like England on their day are the better team, but Wales are probably more consistent. At any rate, you can only, you know, this is why we play each other, okay? And Wales won, so we have to hold our hand up and say, yeah, they're the better team right now until we can beat them. Or until they lose to Ireland, we spank Scotland, and then we're crowned Six Nations champions, and then we are the best. We am the best. Um, but honestly, uh, what else happened in that match that was interesting that I did see in that first half? Um, um, I thought Thomas Francis played really well. Um, I only mentioned that cause he gets a lot of slack cause I think people, people like to judge him on his appearance, you know, but now everyone has to admit he's a good all round player with silkier skills than his rotund frame and chubby face would suggest. Um, do you know what I'm sick of? When somebody charged de- charges down a kick, charging down a kick is actually bloody hard to do. Like, I always shit my pants when I would try it. I'd always do like a half-assed sideways spinning attempt where if the ball's going to hit me, it's going to hit me in the back of the head, not my face. And I see these players just flinging their faces at boots. It's incredible. So when I see a charge down work, I feel like that should be rewarded. And I haven't really thought this through, so maybe it's a bad idea. But what about this? What about if somebody charges a kick down, there's no offsides? You know, because... You can have a player charge down a kick and it can bounce into the arms of someone from his team and they'll run and score and it's like, oh, you're offside. I feel like went from a charge down, no offsides. But anyway, um, that happened at some point in the Scotland versus Wales team, but game, but who gives a shit about Scotland or Wales? Let's talk about the main team, the most exciting, important team, Italy. Um, what can I say that hasn't been said by everybody else in the world? Amazing game by Kokana Singer. Amazing take and offload in the beginning when he caught that ball and did the little reverse pass that Curry couldn't take, spoiling what would have been one of the greatest tries ever. Um, weird start with Billy Vunapola doing a little grubber which worked pretty well. And there was a great chase by cock and a singer, but then it was wasted by hesitant play by Owen Farrell, um, who grubbed it straight to an Italian fullback. That was a weird start. And then Sinclair 
kicked it. And, and not too bad of a kick either, although the crowd was very unimpressed when he did it. It was a weird start. I actually got worried at the beginning. No one's really talked about that. There was a brief period at the beginning where it just felt like people were going to be very doing very silly things. Fucking forwards kicking the ball and Owen Farrell looking hesitant. And uh, anyway, and then we butchered a chance in the fifth minute after more brilliance from Cock and a Singer. Um, because uh, Brad Shields, who did have a good game, made a terrible pass. I was pissed off when he did that. But all in all, yeah, he did play really well. Um, let's see. I'm going to check my notes now because uh, I thought Ellis Genge played brilliantly. Uh, didn't do, didn't do, do uh, what I expected. Not a lot of rampaging adult rhino, not baby rhino, adult rhino runs. Um, but his defense was amazing. His scrummage, our scrum was dominant, so he did his job there. He didn't go psycho, didn't try and shank anyone during the match or anything like that, um, but tackled very, very, very aggressively. Um, he had, his physicality did influence the game just in a defensive way rather than attacking, which is not necessarily what I expected. Manu Tuolangi, best game he's had in fucking years. Tons of power, tons of speed, tons of skill. And, I, you know, I'd written him off. I really thought, this season even, I thought, he's done. He's had too many injuries. He's lacking confidence. He doesn't seem to offer anywhere near what he used to. But, yes, this was Italy. But, still, he looks like he's back to his best. I, I'm very impressed. Um, he did that one run last against Wales last week. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then this was another level. Now, Bentio did not play well. I barely noticed him. He didn't have a shocker. It's not like he did anything terribly wrong, but he did not look great. But then you've got to think he's been injured a lot too. He's barely played this season. So I think they should probably persevere with him because he will, just like Manu did, take time to get back to his best. But he's hardly too old and uh, we all know what he can do. So we've got to just give him time to get back to his best. Um, very interesting, uh, just going back to Cock and a Singer a little bit, Big Joe. His uh, ball-in-one-hand running style, it's one of those things where they, they coach against it because most people don't have hands the size of frying pans. And if you do... You see it in sevens all the time, these big Fijians sort of running one-handed. It just opens up defenses. He can put that ball wherever the fuck he wants. And I thought it was brilliant to watch that. I mean, I'm sure Eddie Jones and co are not going to try and coach that out of him, but it's just an extra dimension in attack when he's running. That's why he was able to do these little nifty offloads and stuff. Um, although I will say his uh, wing did look a little open. Um, a little bit vulnerable at times against Italy, which could be a problem in the future. I don't know if, I don't think it's coincidence. It was always his wing. So that is something we need to be a little cautious of. Um, what else? George Ford came on. His first involvement was horrible. A long forward pass straight to an Italian's hands, but then he got better as the game went on. Um, Oh, I've written, why does Joe Cockenhausinger look so much better for England than Bath? And this kind of takes me back to the point I was making badly earlier with, um, what's his face? McConaughey, is it? Um, yeah. 
it may be that being a winger for Bath isn't necessarily the best place, right? Maybe Bath isn't the team you want to be playing for if you're a winger. Because he looks like a... Di- I mean, he's had some good moments for Bath, but generally I've not been anywhere near as impressed. Or maybe it's just because, you know, he's playing for England, he's pumped up and he's he's rising to the occasion. Anyway, um, something weird and sad and strange. After the match, there was an Italian player crying and I saw Conor O'Shea sort of yelling at him. And it was a weird moment, like, because I, I, I want to know. I feel like Conor O'Shea is a really nice guy. So I suspect what was happening is he was kind of telling him, you've got nothing to feel bad about. Don't worry. You're, you, it's not your fault. Whatever you're upset about, you know, and sort of giving him some some angry, stern encouragement. But it almost looked like he was just telling him off. I really want to know, but I'll never know because I don't even know what that guy's name was. And by tomorrow, I'll have forgotten all about it. Um, anyway, the match itself, I really enjoyed it. It was a really good match when it, it actually did go better than I thought it would. I had a feeling Italy would offer a little bit more. And, um, <laughs> AJ Martinez just texted me. King Joffrey was such a jerk. <laughs> Very true. Um, but, um, Italy are shit. I think it's fair to say they're shit, but they're capable of, of, uh, at least making things difficult. And I had a feeling that they would be super aggressive and really have their defense on point and that England would try too hard and sort of stutter their way through the match. And then in the last 20 minutes score three or four tries. Um, but it wasn't that way at all. We just took them apart. It's very hard to, to know how much of it was England being brilliant and Italy being terrible. But, um, I mean, can't complain at this stage. Uh, that's exactly what we want. And now we find ourselves in a position where we're going to play Scotland. And I'll tell you what, if you're in the last week of the Six Nations and you're relying on another team to beat Wales, there's no other team in the Six Nations I'd want than Ireland. Especially, in a, in a way, this is going rather well for us. Ireland started, I don't want to say they started badly because we beat them and it, and it makes it, it, it implies that the, the, the victory wasn't worth as much as I would like, but certainly they haven't looked anywhere near as good as they had up until the six nations, but they slowly started to build some momentum now. And after spank in France, they will be very confident going up against Wales. And, um, I will be bloody rooting for them. And if Ireland beat Wales and we kick the shit out of Scotland, which we should actually, uh, we'll win the, gra- the, the Grand Slam. We'll win the Six Nations. Now, the only issue is, of course, Scotland. Where are we playing Scotland? Um, I'm going to try and check really quick and see if I can do this without it taking forever. But I'm pretty sure... Um, Oh, who gives a shit? No, I need to know. I'm going to check. Um, if it's at Twickenham, I'll be super confident. It's, if it's at uh, Murrayfield, I'll be worried. Let's see. England versus Scotland 2019. So it's at... It won't tell me. Uh, that's odd. 
Why wouldn't it just say more about this game? Just a bunch of bullshit. Fuck you, Google. Come on. Okay, I'm going to find it. It's at Twickenham. Good. So we should kick the ever-living bollocks off of them. Um, although, you know, Scotland literally... This is what's fucked up. Everybody wants to... Everybody, All the Celtic nations say, oh, it's not all about eat, beating England anymore. But the fact of the matter is, if Scotland end this Six Nations by beating England at Twickenham, that they will feel every bit as happy as, as if they'd won the whole thing. They're going to be 100% fucking happy because they'll have beaten England. They'll have beaten England at home, at Twickenham. They will have beaten England to stop England from winning the Six Nations. And on a less uh, douchey level, they'll have beaten a very, very good team. And that will, you know, as the last game of the Six Nations, that's going to give them confidence and hope in the build-up to the World Cup. So they're going to be up for it. But I really, I cannot even imagine with the injuries they have and with the mediocre, you know, they're a mediocre team. I feel like people really, yes, if they didn't ever have any injuries, they could ask some questions of other teams in the Six Nations. But guess what? You're going to have injuries. There's no point even getting excited. If you're two or three injuries, and now admittedly they've had a lot more than two or three injuries, but if you're a few injuries away, if you're a few key player injuries away from being a bad team, you're a bad team because it's going to happen. Um, I don't want to get too cocky. I don't want to be an arrogant Englishman, but I just think England, England are going to have way too much for Scotland at Twickenham. I can't wait for that match. That's going to be a fun game to watch. And just for silly fun, um, I'll name the squad that I would pick uh, for this particular match. It's pretty easy. Most of the team picks itself. Now, Mako, I don't believe is going to be fit. I would go with Ellis Genge again. Um, we've got two great... We're not Scotland, right? <laughs> we've got world-class options in depth. So Mako's out. We've got Ellis Genge and Ben Moon, both amazing players. If I love it when this happens. I would pick Ellis Genge, but if Eddie Jones picks someone else, I won't be upset unless he picks, you know, anyone else other than Ellis Genge. I was going to try and think, oh yeah, if he picked Alec, even if he picked Alec Hepburn, I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be super angry, but no, Ellis Genge to start. Jamie George at hooker, easy. Sinclair at tighthead, easy. Stick with Laws and Cruz in the second row. Is Laws injured? Did Courtney Laws get injured? Don't think he did. Um, Back row, Wilson, Curry, and Billy. That's pretty easy, too. That pack is pretty easy to pick. I feel like the only sort of real debate is over Loosehead. And then I don't think many people are going to be... There's not a lot between the two of them. I just think Genj has just that extra aggression and power that can... Uh, I really like the idea. There was a time when you would save those kind of players for the end, but I like having them right from the kickoff with him and Sinclair just kicking the shit out of the opposition. Um, halfbacks, you've got to go with Ben Youngs still. To Owen Farrell, of course. I would go with... I would stick with Tio and Manu for the reasons I said. Henry Slade, brilliant player, been playing really well. And if he gets picked, I won't be unhappy about it. But I would stick with this uh, power combo in the midfield. And then on the wings... 
I would go with Jack Noll and Johnny May because I'm very tempted to have Cock and a Singer in there. Fuck and a Singer. Um, I feel like I've been using his name. I think I feel like I've been saying Cock and a Singer and Fuck and a Singer interchangeably, but who cares? No one's listening. Um, Jack Noll on one wing, Johnny May on the other. Fuck and a Singer. It's tempting to start him. And if Eddie Jones does, again, I'll be rather excited. But I definitely think it's a potential weakness in defense. He did leave his wing open a little bit. And I, and uh, Gregor Townsend is smart enough to try and exploit that. I don't think he'd be able to. I think we'd be okay even with fucking a singer there. But I'd probably stick. Yeah, I'd have Noel on the wing with uh, obviously Johnny May has to be on one wing. Um, and keep Elliot Daly at fullback, for God's sake. And then on the bench, yes, Ben Moon, Luke Cowan-Dickey, Harry Williams, Joe Launchbury. Who are you going to have on the to cover the back row? I suppose the most obvious thing is Brad Shields. I mean, I don't like it. I want English people, but I'd love to have Zach Mercer in there. Um, is he Scottish? <laughs> Who gives a fuck? I'd really like to have Zach Mercer in there, but he's not going to get brought in. It's got to be either Brad Shields or um, Hughes. So it's got to be Brad Shields. Um, on the, and then uh, Dan Robson, obviously. There's no one else. Uh, and then I'd have Henry Slade and Thokana Singer. That's a, such a good squad we have. God, I'm happy with this England squad right now. And God, I'm... Not happy with this podcast. I don't think it was very good. I kind of uh, I think I'm too tired. Maybe I'm rusty after a week off. But I feel like I wasn't very... Uh, didn't really give a shit about what, most of what I said. And if I don't give a shit, why should you? It doesn't matter. Uh, usually it's more fun than this. Follow me on Twitter, at Eddie Stevens MD or at Ranta Rugby. And uh, thanks. Mm-hmm.